Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. Meantime, on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline, the Colts postgame show host, and uh, so much more, our friend Greg Rakestraw joins us on this Tuesday. I, I tried to, Greg, put into words... Uh, what we all witnessed last night in watching that, and um, I, I kind of felt that last night there was no words for me to be necessary. So I just sat and watched and hoped, um, and you know, and, and thought about you know what what was going down, and hopefully what could be a resounding dramatic turnaround from what we were witnessing. But from your standpoint, uh, what was your feeling and? Uh, how was that going from almost as we approach the 24-hour mark later on tonight as to what we witnessed in Cincinnati on that turf last night? You know, it, it obviously the, the images that flash back to me are that of Hank Gathers from March of 1990. Yeah. And sadly, we know, you know, what, what, how that turned out. Uh, you know, I, I think back to Christian Eriksen, uh, the soccer player that plays in the Premier League, that plays for Denmark uh, with the Euros that were competed in in 2021 and thankfully you know what happened to him where he was revived he was saved and amazingly he is back competing the premier league now for a second season after that when normally the best case scenario is this person is walking and talking amongst us but is not resuming you know their athletic career be it the professional level i was not in the building when john stewart passed away in march of 99 we had a reporter there because I was covering uh, a game for the Franklin radio station at Franklin College, and we were supposed to cut to updates of what was the second game that night at Columbus North, which was Franklin and Sullivan. And obviously that game was played with a Paul cast over it because of what had happened at Lawrence North. So while this has not happened in the National Football League for some 51 years, yeah, this has happened in in other you know sports venues, and it's just a reminder that for the importance that we put on this, there are things that are far greater of import. And I want to congratulate everyone, fans, players, personnel, the league, for realizing what happened last night was much bigger than the game of football, and there was no way you were going to resume that game last night. I put it this way, and Greg Rakestraw is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, that we, we, at least I do, I guess I can't speak for everybody, but I do, um, when medical personnel comes out onto the field, you know, even a, a cart, if it's rolled out there, you wait and you hope to see somebody either walking off walking off with a little bit of help or coming off on a card and giving a thumbs up when they exit. Last night was so dramatically different than what we normally see. It was a true shock to the system, just all the way around. Well, I mean, we are conditioned now that that is normally the outcome that we see. So when we don't, we know it's scary. To see the look, it was really the look on Sean McDermott's face that because he's a pretty intense dude. And when you very quickly saw it in his face that this is different, this is scary, and this is something that guys have not seen. And then obviously you saw the emotional reaction uh, of his teammates. And, you know, let's face it, um, these guys, I think, even though you can never think about it while you're playing, I, I think whenever, whenever that cart comes out, they are aware of their own football mortality. This is a different type of mortality we were talking about last night. And to see the look on those players' faces was all you needed to know about just how dangerous of a situation uh, that unfortunately we witnessed last night in Cincinnati. So, uh, Greg Raystraw with us via the uh, Andy Moore Automotive Group Highlighted again. Uh, we'll keep you updated and uh, wish for nothing but the best, certainly here moving forward. Um, on things that don't matter as much, at the final weekend of the regular season coming up. And the Texans here in town 
where are we right now with this group, you think? And from what you witnessed against the Giants, what has been under the interim tenure of Jeff Saturday? We wondered, we thought after the Vegas game it was going to get better, but it has just increasingly gotten worse. Where do you first point the finger as to why this has taken shape, Greg? Uh, it goes to everybody. Um, the roster was nowhere near as good as we thought it was going to be. Obviously, you know the, the biggest culprit in terms of expectations versus how they played, offensive line one, uh, quarterback position number two, wide receivers are probably about what we thought they were going into the regular season. You didn't have the year from Jonathan Taylor that you had a year ago. You know, the defense has played up the expectations. You know, I think the dam has finally burst on them over the course of the last couple of weeks and maybe just the, the mental fatigue and enough missing pieces where, you know, they, they have not been able to maintain their level of play that we saw for a good chunk of the year. But this is everybody. This is on roster construction. This is on culture in the locker room. This is about in-game decisions from coaching. This is about quality of coaching staff. There is no one that escapes blame. There is no one that escapes responsibility for this thing completely going in the opposite direction from how this was, what was expected out of this group. Well, and I don't even know where we can begin to to adequately explain how rotten this has become. I, I, I guess you just start here. Do you see a way... I can see it with the owner, but I can't see a way to try to justify this, certainly with a fan base, of bringing Jeff Saturday back as the full-time head coach in 2023. I would agree with that. There is nothing of the results of what you have seen from Jeff over these two months to say, yep, that's the guy that I want. But again, at the same time, I'm not sure (laughs) that's what Jim is going to base this off of. Um, I'm thinking of... You know, the cliche about if you listen to the fans at some point, don't be sitting in the stands with them. Um, But in Jim's case, I hope he is listening to the fans because this is a group that is fed up. This is a group that is, I I think, teetering towards apathy, uh, which is the worst case scenario you can have. So if you base it just on what has transpired since November the 7th, no, I I don't think you'd bring Jeff Saturday back. But in Jim Irsay's mind, I think he's also taking into account that Jeff Saturday was here from 1999 through 2011. Um, And so, um, again, based on what happened the last two months, I would not be bringing him back. But because it's Jim Irsay that is involved, I have no idea what's going to happen. You feel the same way about Ballard? You know how I feel. I'm sure you hear how I feel about that to this point. Is it time to make a change there, as I've said, or – do you think that there's still some value in moving forward with Chris Ballard in a seventh season? I think it's time for a complete reboot. But again, whether that will happen or not, I have no idea. But again, if you've already made a move on your head coach, you've already made a move on your offensive coordinator, clearly you're going to make a move in terms of your quarterback position, uh, given the draft scenario that you now have being a likely top five or six pick. And, having three quarterbacks that are likely, you know, high first round picks. And again, just the machinations of all that. Um, again, it's probably the direction that I would go. Doesn't mean it's the direction Jim Mercy is going to go. So Greg Rakestraw, the post game show host and more. He's with us via the Andy Moore automotive group hotline. Um, how much of an overhaul player personnel wise do you think we're going to see in this off season? I don't know how much you can ultimately do, right. but percentage wise, what do you think we're looking at? You know, I, I think the natural grind uh, of, or the natural churn, I guess I should say, of a roster is probably 25 to 30%. So you would say a little bit more. Um, maybe not as dramatic as you would think it would be. Uh, in other words, you know, I'm, because of the investment in the offensive line and because you have a third-round pick from last year in Bernard Ryman playing at the left tackle position and learning on the job, for his, the offensive line is going to have to be whom you bring in to coach them and what sort of impact you can have with that. Um, but I think maybe you, you switch out one starter. I'm not sure it's more than that. You know, other than Paris Campbell, you got to make a decision on free agent-wise. Everybody else can be a contract of that group. Um, and you can add to it because they're all on rookie deals in terms of free agency. 
I think the running back position is set. Um, you know, you've got some young pieces you like at tight end. You had one you just couldn't play this year in Drew Ogletree. I'm not sure how much that position is going to change. Obviously, the quarterback room, other than Ellinger, likely gets wiped at this point. Uh, and defensively, again, defensively, you've been good most of the season. And you've got most of those guys under contract. Now, the notables are Yanni Kingakwe, Bobby Okereke, EJ Speed, Stephon Gilmore. Um, maybe one or two of those guys come back. And if that's the case, you're not talking about that big of an upheaval. So it's why I do think this is not some long winter we're heading into. This is not the Houston Texans of the last two years, where that's clearly a three or four year rebuild they are going through. I don't think that this team is in that position. And again, I'll point out in recent history, the dark days of the Indianapolis Colts, which have not been that many. Six wins in 2001, 10 wins the next year. Two wins in 2011, 11 the next year. Four wins in 2017, 10 wins, and a playoff win the following year. So I, I do think that this thing can be turned around quickly if the right moves are made. So Greg Rakestraw with us as well. It was Rutgers again last night for the number one Boilermakers. What what makes Rutgers so difficult? Certainly in situations like that against top ranked teams, with the Boilermakers being you know that particular victim two years running now. I think Rutgers plays about as tough and physical as Purdue does. I think it's I think it's Rutgers is, is simply very well coached. I think Steve Peichel does a heck of a job, and he has turned that into an upper half team. I also do think there is something about even if even as players change, philosophies and coaches other than a couple of places in the Big Ten really haven't. So there's a lot of things that even though again there's no Trevion Williams, no Jaden Ivey, what Purdue does is kind of typically what Purdue does, and so Rutgers is accustomed to playing against that. So, to me, a lot of what happened last night is simply that Steve Peichel's really good at his job and, and has done a heck of a job in making Rutgers, if not one of the best teams in the Big Ten, then clearly a team that is an upper half-level team and a tough team to compete against every night in Big Ten play. Greg, IU plays in Iowa City coming up on Thursday. The better part of two weeks this team has been without playing competitive, meaningful basketball. Uh, is that going to be detrimental for this group to try to kick this thing back off in 2023 Thursday night? I think it will be, and I am very surprised that you make a schedule with that sort of hole in it. Um, I'm really, really surprised that because trust me, when you're, you're talking about a guarantee game here, you could easily have have taken that date on December the 23rd uh, and moved that to December 30th and given yourself a lot less ring rust heading into a key Big Ten game. So that is so odd to have happen. You know, we we saw that during COVID because you had to take time off. And this was a scheduling issue for IU. And so I'm floored that that there was that sort of a gap in their schedule. Butler, I know they got a win against Georgetown. It was a rough 0-for-3 start for the Dogs in Big East play, at least here recently. Is this a team that's going to be able to pick this thing up with Thad Mata, or is it going to be much like what we have seen so far the rest of the season? I, 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 again, Georgetown is the bingo free space at this point, and DePaul is not far behind them. And DePaul is the team that – Butler will have to play coming up tomorrow night. You take care of that, then the schedule picks back up again. Uh, before I'm sold on on this Butler team, I want to see them, you know, don't have to do what they did against Georgetown and win by 29 points. I want to see them beat an upper half Big East team first. Then we can have that conversation about, you know, can Thad Mata turn this specific group around? Who's been the most impressive high school basketball team to this point? You either seen or heard about? Ben Davis, and it's not close. Um, ben Davis is very similar to what Warren Central was five years ago in terms of that Warren Central team ran the table. I think Ben Davis could. not saying they will, but they could. I'll see him Friday night against North Central. Um, but, there, but there's not a super high-end level recruit on that team. They're just five, six, seven outstanding high school basketball players, and this group has largely played together for the last two or three years. This was a group, a lot of them played as sophomores on a team that was under 500 two years ago, 
Then last year, that team made the regional final, and they bring back all five starters. All those guys are going to play Division One or Division Two basketball out of that group. They won the Hall of Fame Classic. They played two carbon copy games against Northwood and Penn. And while Northwood is 3A, they were sixth in the Saturn range going into that game. And, and Penn was second or third in the state. And basically, Ben Davis is kind of like a vice in the second half of that game. They were trailed by two in both games. They frankly led by 10 kind of in the fourth quarter and just kind of kept both teams at bay, one by, I want to say, 12 and I think 18 points respectively is how those games played out. And the young man that maybe is their highest end recruit, if not in basketball, but football, that group, in Mark Zachary. He's usually their sixth or seventh guy. He was named tournament MVP to show you how deep that you know that team is. So um, there, there is a definitive best team in the state in both girls and boys basketball. In girls basketball at South Bend, Washington, although the Hamilton County and Zionsville squads could play them in the semi-state and would give them a, a good battle. Same with Ben Davis. Ben Davis is going to play some good teams the rest of the way and in their state tournament run, but Ben Davis is clearly the best team in the state right now. One final thing, Greg. The NCAA group that has proposed the 90-team hoops tournament, um, I, I like it the way that it is. I thought it was even better the way that it was. What do you think about this prospect of 90 teams in the tournament? I understand the logic uh, because if you go back to 85 and they first went to 64, um, a similar percentage now as to Division One teams and those that make the postseason um, would be about 90 teams because, my God, there's 363 teams playing Division One basketball this year. But at the end of the day, what do we do every year in March? We don't complain about the bubble teams because the bubble teams, you all go, man, that team's not very good, but you got to have 68 and, and they're going to make – and they're going to make the field. Uh, and so, you know, I I understand the math, and I know that's the percentage in a lot of other divisions as to how many teams make the postseason in particular sports, saying 25 teams. That's a fair number. I just don't want to see, a as, as a fan, I want to see a 90-team NCAA tournament. You can kick it back to 64, and you'd be just fine. The only way that I am buying into 90 is if you set aside a reserve number of at-large bids right. for non-Power 5 conferences. Because you if want to see the 10th-ranked team in the SEC in there. Right. Yeah. If you do that, you've got my attention. You and I both know that's never going to happen. Exactly. All right, what you got this week, buddy? So I got uh, tonight I got Westfield, Mount Vernon, both teams much younger than last year, but off to solid 6-1 and one and 7-3 and three starts. Tomorrow night, Park Tudor and L.C., LC is seven and four, and Dane Fife is doing that game with me. <laughs> then on Friday night, I will have Ben Davis in North Central doubleheader. On Saturday, I'll have the Hendricks County Tournament Girls and Boys Championship games. We've got to get Fife on here to talk that up then at some point this week. Well, he's on tomorrow night at seven thirty, so I'd say get him for tomorrow's show. You got it, buddy. Appreciate it, Greg. By the way, did, did you find the T-shirt I left for you? I have. Um, I wasn't. I have not been up here yet. I just kind of walked up from five and came in here. I will go down there though. But I've not, not been to your actual desk before doing your show. <laughs> no, well, no, I, I, you know how I do it. I go down on five and, and do stuff and then walk up. And I wasn't in here. I was in Columbus yesterday at Buffalo Wild Wings, so I've right. I've really not been in here too much. Right, well, but I'll, I'll check it out. I'll check it out and report back to you, brother. I appreciate you. For the green T-shirt. If there's another T-shirt on, on a chair that's not green, it's not yours. Look for the green T-shirt. You got it, buddy. Thank you. See ya. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline from PFF, he is the uh, data scientist, the numbers analyst, and more. Happy New Year to Ben Brown up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Hello, Ben. How are you? Oh, JMB, I'm doing. I'm doing pretty good. Happy New Year to you and yours as well. Uh, yeah, it's been a you know a, a tough week for our football teams, unfortunately. Yeah, well, 
it's been a tough almost every week for the football team right here, Ben. There's no doubt. And it looks like, to me, like others will tell me that they think this is going to be a quick re- rebuild. I, I don't I don't know if I necessarily see that. The offensive numbers, I can't imagine. You know we're going to start here with what we have witnessed, certainly under the guidance of interim head coach Jeff Saturday. Just how bad has it been and how bad was it in MetLife Stadium on Sunday against the Giants again? Yeah, I mean, it was uh, pretty much atrocious. You know, I think, like, you know, from an EPA perspective, they are uh, completely bottom of the barrel, uh, you know, from an NFL team perspective outside of, like, the Houston Texans. So not really the company that you want to keep, you know, Week 17 specifically. uh, I I would say they were, you know, uh, maybe a little bit above average from a rushing perspective. Their pass blocking was okay. But once again, you know, the quarterback position uh, is very much, I would say, kind of holding this offense back. And then, you know, of course, you did touch on, you know, the Jeff Saturday situation. But, uh, the, you know, early on in the game, the fourth and one, basically, where they decided to kick the field goal to go up three points. Like, those are the decisions where if you want to win football games, especially with a roster that maybe isn't as talented as the one you're facing off against, like, those are the those are the situations that you absolutely have to press, I would say. So Ben Brown at PFF is with us. I mentioned this when I brought you on. I can't see this being a fluid type of quick turnaround here because it seems that most of what they put together has failed, and then obviously they don't have anywhere near right now what is necessary by everybody to be successful, and that is a quarterback. Do you kind of view this as well, even through the analytics lens do you kind of view this as a, a longer term rebuild no matter what happens coming up in the off season for the Colts yeah I mean it, obviously in, in the perfect world they do find that young signal caller in the draft and and very much identify him as a guy that they can build around right but I still think the pieces you know in place offensively uh there are a lot of question marks I think you would have wanted to see in some ways you know, a, a guy like Michael Pittman Jr. very much dominate from a target share perspective and very much kind of be that guy that can at least help a mid-lead to average quarterback. But I, I would say that he's, you know, in some ways been a little bit more of a disappointment and that maybe the light is, you know, more clear on him being, you know, a, a pretty good and functional number two guy, but not somebody that can potentially carry the passing offense. So I think, you know, the, the pieces that they have in place, although good, there is still isn't very much, I would say, separation, especially with a quarterback that is very much going to be learning the position at the NFL level. So I think it's, you know, a, a very much, I would say, kind of a multi-year rebuild unless they maybe hit on a guy, you know, that isn't a first-round, you know, draft prospect, all the, you know, in the Jalen Hurts mold, and then can somehow, you know, finagle players around him as they continue to get better. But uh, it still seems very much like they're probably, you know, two if not three years away from uh, you know, probably once again being able to compete with a team like the Jacksonville Jaguars, I would say. If you can right now, I want you to look up the offensive line, both individually and collectively. Um, and we'll start individually, too, um, and, and start with left tackle because obviously Bernard Ryman is a rookie and he has, uh, you know, been, been kind of thrown into the fire, which, you know, you, you, you got to do. And especially if you're the Colts, you have to do because you're not any good right now. You look at his individual numbers and then go into collectively this offensive line as we enter the final regular season weekend of the season? Yeah, I think, you know, specifically Bernard Raymond, I would say, uh, although he's not, you know, among the elite leaders at the, you know, at the tackle position, like he has been, uh, I would say at least a little bit of a pleasant surprise, you know, slightly above average overall grade, uh, you know, um, pretty good from, you know, a, a pass blocking perspective and even better from a run blocking perspective. So although he isn't, you know, have has like, you know, the name recognition or anything else, he has graded as, you know, a slightly above average offensive tackle at, you know, uh, at the NFL level. And I think, you know, if he can continue to build on that, like he is very much, you know, a, a candidate to arrive as like a top 10 tackle, you know, at the NFL level. And I think that would very much be, you know, a, a hit in regards to that particular draft spot and, and, and that particular spot for the roster. So I, I like what he's actually been able to do, um, you know, going to the other, you know, tackle position. Braden Smith has been, I would say, um, you know, e- even a little bit better from, um, you know, both the pass blocking perspective, I guess a little bit lower, you know, from a run blocking pass. But uh, I-, I think the weird thing about the Colts offensive line specifically is that they've gotten at least 
league average play from both tackle positions. It's been the interior of it that uh, you know has very much, I would say, not lived up to expectations this year. Well, let's go to. Quentin Nelson, with that in mind, and certainly one of the lowlights of not just his career, but certainly this season from the Colts, would uh, be uh, Dexter Lawrence basically pancaking not only him, but also sacking both he and Sam Ellinger um, this past, I think it was Sam Ellinger, the Foles or Ellinger, I think it was Ellinger by that time. But needless to say, he got work by Lawrence. What has his rate gauge number been at the uh, left guard position this season is is it middling is it better than what we see when we see a low light like that how do you gauge what we've seen from quentin nelson yeah it's been very middling i would say specifically his you know most recent game was one of his lowest graded games this season he is uh you know grading at a below uh we would call league average number at like a 67.5 offensive grade has been a little bit better from a pass blocking perspective, but you know, surprisingly, has been I would say pretty poor uh, in run blocking. So we have we have him as you know the 23rd highest graded guard, both left guard and right guard that's played at least 100 uh, snaps so far this season. So uh, although that's you know middling or league average, like he, he's very much you know probably overpaid based on his performance this season. Uh, and going to be more so overpaid here uh, relatively right. soon right. too. So 23rd. You said between both left guard and right guard positions. Yep, yep. In overall offensive grade, I think he's a little bit better from a pass blocking perspective. Um, if we look just at pass blocking, he'd be the 17th highest graded guard from pass blocking, but uh, he, he drops to 29th basically from a run blocking perspective. So, and that's that's the thing with the rebuild, right? Like they are going to be continuing to pay him top end guard money, and if that's if they're not going to be able to live up to that, like that's that that's going to you know cause the rebuild to probably drag on longer than what it should. Well, you mentioned the uh, the faults in the interior of the line. We'll get to uh, right guard and Will Fries, for example, in just a second. But Ryan Kelly has been talked about around here as not having a good season either. Where does he rank among the NFL centers this season so far? Yeah. So it's been <laughs> – um, he's been not – yeah, it's – it's not pretty, basically. So among centers with 100 snaps so far, he's 20th, basically, in overall offensive grade. Kind of right around the, the same level from both a pass blocking and run blocking perspective. So slightly below league average. Um, you know, obviously has been in there for a number of snaps, which helps quite a bit. But, uh, you know, very much, I would say, probably is the, the weakest overall grade from, you know, the Colts' perspective for what they put forth this season along the offensive line. Yeah, and it can't be either. It uh, There's no way that, that should or can be just that. The right guard position, I guess specifically, we're talking about Will Fries here. What's that look like? Yeah, he's he's actually been, uh, in relation to what, you know, what he's earning, I would say, and everything else, he's actually been, uh, I would say decent in his role, basically for the for the Colts this season. So let me look up his. Uh, see if I, I'm seeing if I can get it for specifically right guard. Um, but he's yeah, I guess he hasn't been all. He's been a little bit lower. Obviously, he had the week 16 game, which was by far his best performance of the season. But last week, from a pass blocking perspective, he was the worst among the offensive linemen. 32.5 pass blocking grade, probably one of the worst you know overall pass blocking grades. Uh, of any guard or tackle, I would say, last week. So has still been okay from a run blocking perspective, but uh, far below, I would say, league average uh, uh, in pass blocking situations. So Ben Brown of Pro Football Focus with us every Tuesday going over the analytics numbers for the Colts, which uh, notoriously this season have not been good whatsoever. Joins us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. I know he's done for the season, but the reason why I bring this up is because he was something I was counting on, I was hoping for, and he hadn't had the type of season that I expected, although I think others uh, got out of Yannick Ngakwe coming off that edge defensively what they expected to get out of him. How has he looked, the numbers that he has put up, and is he worthy on a one-year deal to contemplate bringing back here next season, Ben? That's a good question. I, I'm interested in, you know, kind of the the expectation for what his contract should be. He has been, I would say, okay from a pa- from a pass rush standpoint. Run block, run defense, 
he's he's very much struggled. Unfortunately, the Week 16 game was probably his best overall, actually definitely his best overall game uh, of the entire season, both facets, high number of snaps that game as well. But he's a guy that, you know, we've talked about numerous times in situational type pass rushing, he can win in one-on-one settings. And I think if you need depth at the position, he, he he can in a lot of ways fill that void, but when he has to be the number one guy, play in and play out, and be there from a run defense perspective, uh, I think you're very much going to get you know I, I would say below league average type production from him. So if he's anywhere close to you know getting paid from that perspective. I, I would much rather, I would say, take my chances with a younger guy through the draft. Defense, well, they've tried that too, by the way. Uh, defense overall, <laughs> defense overall, I, I think when most Colts fans look at it, they say, well, they haven't deserved uh, most of the uh, the fate this season that the offense has presented them in being so woeful. Where where have they collectively ranked all season long, and, and where logically will they end the season? Yeah, so we basically have them, you know, right around as like the 12th best defense in football. So a little bit above league average, actually. I think, you know, some of that is, uh, you know, they do have, I would say, strong cornerback play and strong coverage play. And Stephon Gilmore is graded out well. I know he's injured now, but Isaiah Rogers has also graded out well. And they have, I would say, enough guys that have been able to generate pressure where they have been able to, you know, slow down or, or stop opposing offenses. So, 12, you know, that a 12th or 13th range basically is kind of where we have them at. I think, you know, from that perspective, if you're looking at like defensive specifically, like that's got to be the point where you are optimistic about their outlook. And maybe that's the spot where, you know, if they can perform a little bit above expectation like they did last year, like they could they could very much carry this team, you know, back to relevancy with even, you know, average quarterback play, I would say. Hey, Ben, do you guys rank the quarterbacks in college football? We do, right? We ha- we do, yeah, we do well, stats. For oh, yeah, and before you get into this, you can explain it. I want you to look for that right now as I present this question to you. So we know where Bryce Young is going to end up. Um, and there have been other names out there. Certainly Will Levis of Kentucky has, has been one. But we got to witness the other night C.J. Stroud, and certainly we've seen him plenty of times around here over the course of the Big Ten season. But we got to see him against a, a really good Georgia team, not as good defensively as they were a year ago, but who was going to be considering what they lost to the NFL, but still good. That performance combined with what you have seen this season – is is he among the best? Is he second best? Where is he ranked, do you think, as we, we enter the offseason in preparation for the NFL Combine here? Yeah, so I can tell you, you know, from from PFF grading perspective, and this obviously does include some, you know, younger guys that aren't going to be draft eligible, we had him as the sixth best Power 5 quarterback, specifically from a passing perspective, right? So guys above him, kind of like you said, Bryce Young was, PFF's number one graded passing quarterback, Drake May, the freshman from North Carolina, was number two, who you know very much looks like a number one overall draft prospect as well. Sam Hartman, a little bit of a surprise. Jordan Travis from Florida State as well. And then it's Caleb Williams and C.J. Stroud. So I think, you know, where I would have said he was two weeks ago in relation to where I think he probably is going to end up now it is vastly different after that performance against Georgia. And I think that that is very much going to boost his draft stock, but it probably should because for so long the narrative was that he was he he was very much benefiting from having one of, if not the best, receiving units in college football. In some ways, that's changed a little bit with the injury situation that Ohio State has dealt with. But like the, the performance against Georgia specifically, like I think he very much is going to land, you know, as as a top five draft prospect, and should very much, I would say, you know, be ahead of like a guy like Will Levis. Um, so very much, I would say, the second best quarterback in the draft. The thing that uh, the thing that I saw on Saturday from him, and and some people want to call him. Well, you don't need somebody that runs that much. He doesn't run. He was escaping. Right, he was right. extending. He was extending the play, and that was some things that that came with question marks from him that I thought he proved because not only was he extending those plays when it was necessary, but he was putting that ball on the money as he was running with the football, which I really right. found impressive. Yeah, and that's the thing is like, you know, the situation's under pressure, getting out of the pocket in some ways that's a little bit less stable from week to week or even season to season, but the ability to actually 
you know, navigate those situations. It, you know, we see it at, with outlier players like, you know, Patrick Holmes every single week where they can very much, you know, handle what the defense is giving them. And even when they have a somewhat suspect offense line, they still keep their eyes downfield, you know, and, and deliver strikes. And I think we definitely saw, you know, a, a flash of that with C.J. Stroud, you know, against Georgia in, in a game that they probably very much should have won. And like you said, he is probably definitely more of a runner than what Bryce Young puts forth. And I do think that's, kind of the direction that the quarterback position probably needs to gravitate towards, especially with, you know, defenders and everything else, uh, you know, in the high pressure situations. Like if you have a sitting duck back at the quarterback position, like it's just not that sustainable of a, you know, efficient offense. But I think Stroud offers enough with his legs where he could be, you know, relatively successful at uh, alleviating pressure and hitting on some of those throws downfield. Yeah, it, see, Will Levis, I haven't given probably a fair shake around here because the couple of times I saw him play, uh, he didn't do much for me, uh, not much for me at all. Is is he a lot better? And once he gets better talent around him, will we see that kind of blossom in the NFL? Or are my eyeballs telling me the truth about his prospect moving up to the NFL? Yeah, I think your eyeballs are telling you, you know, I, I would say pretty fair – um, assessment of him. We have him as basically kind of a, you know, a, a, a um, you know, a, a average quarterback, I would say at the power five level this season specifically, he, he was better definitely last year did have some injury situations as well, but he's very much going to be the guy that looks really well at the combine coming up here in March, right. And looks really good throwing the football and in t-shirt and shorts, but can that translate? And is that going to make him into a franchise quarterback? Maybe, but I think he has, you know, in a lot of ways, some of the same characteristics and same makeup as Josh Allen had coming out. And I think that's going to be the appeal with, with Will Levis is can he kind of live up to that? And I think through the first two years of Josh Allen's career, nobody really expected him to, you know, arrive at where he actually has. And I do think he's probably more of an outlier and not the not the prototypical guy that you probably want to chase and, and find the next Josh Allen. So, from my perspective, I'm I'm very much out on Will Levis. I probably would have said I was out on C.J. Stroud before this performance against Georgia as well. But uh, I think if I was leaning in any one direction, you know, I, I would definitely be more inclined to go with C.J. Stroud much further, much quicker, uh, more so than Will Levis. And I don't think that's going to change the rest of the draft process. All right, Ben, before I let you go, any other interesting numbers as we enter the final weekend of the NFL's regular season? Oh man, it's, I mean, it's the, everything is so up in the air right now. We are, I am, you know, severely delayed in even the, the things that I've been able to look at coming out of week 17 here, which is so much unfolding behind the scenes. But I think next week we'll have some good wrap up, wrap up statistics for you, for all the, you know, the Colts faithful and hopefully provide some hope to what's to come here in 2023 and beyond. Ben, I appreciate you more than you know. One final check in. I guess we could probably do it during the postseason. I can't remember a year ago if we did that or not, but. We can certainly look forward to doing that, too. It's up to you. I'm always here for you. I love chatting, so uh, anything we can do definitely uh, is great for my end and will always work. So I appreciate you. I hope you have you know good rest of the season. Let's see some Pacers victory here. Yeah, yeah. How about that? Are you a big Timberwolves fan? Are you a big Timberwolves I, guy? I mean, I enjoy them, yeah. I mean, I, I like to go to games. My I have a son who's actually pretty into hockey, so we are more – probably wild fans than anything else I would say um, and, and kind of gravitate towards that sport. But I, I enjoy the, the Timberwolves. I thought they'd be better than what they are, but uh, I still think Anthony Edwards is you know, very much capable of landing as like a top three player in the, in the NBA here. And I think that would be, you know, a pretty exciting de- development for, you know, Timberwolves fans as well. Uh, ben, I appreciate you more than you know. Have a great week. <laughs> Thanks. We'll talk to you soon. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Pace is a winner over the Raptors. They get Philadelphia in Philly coming up tomorrow night. So obviously, uh, my Twitter handle is going to get ready for a Joel Embiid-Miles Turner matchup. I can't wait for it. Four consecutive wins and really maybe a new judgment, a new change in philosophy moving forward in the short term with the Pacers. And on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline from setting the pace, Alex Golden, he does join us. So are we um, going through a transition? Thought process-wise, not just us, 
But Pacers brass, as far as how they feel this team is evolving quicker or sooner rather than later in this case? Yeah, that's uh, that's a million-dollar question right there, JMV. I mean, this uh, this team is way ahead of schedule. Like you said before the break, nobody expected this to be the case. Not the Pacers, not the not the front office, not the coaching staff. And here we are. And I think you kind of have to live in the moment a little bit, but you can't lose sight of the bigger picture. It's a, it's, it's a fine balance there. But I just I can't envision Kevin Pritchard, Chad Buchanan in their front office you know, breaking up that starting five by trading one of the veterans or both of the veterans before the deadline. I think, you know, it's one of those things where they might have to uh, just play it out the rest of the season and make those decisions in the summer. But it's it's a tough call right now just because, I mean, we know Turner is a pending free agent this, this summer. So I can see why if he doesn't sign, they want to maybe try to lift a move him. But what kind of message does that send to the locker room? And yes. does that upset anybody? And I think that could be the bigger picture here is you want to keep your your main players happy, especially the guys that you want here long, long-term, like Halliburton Mather. And if you're kind of punting on the season after the success they've had already, it's just I, I just can't envision that happening. I just feel like it's too hard of a pill to swallow and too hard of a move for them to make. Setting the pace, and now this golden talking pacers on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Don't you think right now from what we've seen, especially with this group and most especially playing off of a little two-man high ball action with Tyrese Halliburton, don't you think Miles is certainly an essential part of this team that we see and this team we've seen had success? Yeah, Miles has been great this year. I mean, there's no way there's no way around it. Even if you're the biggest hater of the guy, you can't really say too much because yes, he's had some games here and there where he's not looked awesome, but for the majority of the season, he's looked really great and he's fit in well with Tyrese and the way they're playing. Sure. You probably would like Tyrese to have more of a pick and roll thread, just to have a little bit more variance with the offense. But miles has done a great job knocking down threes. I think he's shooting over like 40 some percent for the season right now, which is just insane. And you notice a lot of times Tyrese's ability to get to the basket, uh, it opens up opportunities for Miles at the rim if he's in the dunker spot or, like like I said earlier, with the three-point shot. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of what Miles is doing, and I think you can make the case that he's been the second-best player on the team this season. Uh, Alex Golden is with us, and that is, that is something that we all – we all kind of wondered how how he would play – with Tyrese Halliburton and Halliburton has been so good but let's face it this is the the real first time that he has played with a willing passer but a willing passer with this elite level passing skill that that is so much different than what 33s had to deal with in the past even when you know whether we're talking about you know Carlisle before he was injured a year ago or you know going back to when he was in some high ball screen action you know back with with Bjorkgren in mind too this is massively different than anything we have seen in a two man game type of situation with Miles matched up with a guard on this team yeah, and I think a lot of it has to go uh, – a lot of it is, is part of the way the Pacers play offensively. I think putting four guards next to Miles has really opened up the floor for everybody involved, especially Miles now because he gets that big-on-big matchup. And I think part of the reason Carlisle made the switch to Neesmith over Jalen Smith was we started seeing teams put guards or wings on Miles defensively and put their bigger man, their center, on Jalen Smith. Now they don't really have that option because – the month of December, Neeson is shooting like 40% from three, Nimhard 36%, Buddy's like 51 and a half. Tyrese is in the 40s, Miles is in the 40s. So, you know, you can't really just put a center on a guy and, you know, put a wing on Miles hoping to kind of disrupt that. No, you have to put your big on Miles because the Pacers have done a good job of countering what defenses were doing, and I think that's been a big part of it. But, yeah, Miles, you look at the teams that he's played with before, didn't have the high level of shooting around him, wasn't able to play this – type of you know pace and he doesn't have another big out there with him in a Sabonis and even before Sabonis got here he played a lot of minutes with Jan Mahimi so I just feel like Miles has motivation this season obviously to be a better player contract year you know the franchise went out and tried to get Aiton before they even gave Miles a chance with this team so I, I think he had a massive chip on his shoulder but he's fit in perfectly and I think 
the Pacers are, are known for trying to get guys to have a chip on their shoulder and prove they belong. And despite everything, it seems like he still really likes it here. So I, uh, I think the two-man game with him and Halliburton has been fantastic. They have great chemistry. And no matter who's at center, I, and I don't mean to knock Miles by saying this, I just think Tyrese is going to elevate the floor of any big man that he has out there because he's just that gifted of a basketball player. But I think Miles has done a great job finding ways to get better and fitting in and, and, and meshing with, with Halliburton throughout the season. Well, so many times you see him get matched up, too, um, on, on that high ball screen that I talk about so much that I love. He gets matched up mm-hmm. on a switch. And, it, I mean, the teams are having to, to kind of pick your poison. Right, if you will. I mean, either it's going to be Halliburton that's going to take you to the rim, maybe step back and hit a three, or Miles is is going to roll to the basket and he's going to get a pass and he's going to be able to go up against a much smaller uh, guarding position, whether it's you know a guard, small forward, or whatever. And it, teams really haven't been able, and they have tried, but really haven't been able to adjust fully to that just yet. No, I think Miles has done a really good job of asserting himself as more of a post-presence than he has before, especially, like you said, on those switches when he's running that pick and roll with Tyrese Halliburton. And it's it's great to see. I mean, even even in the game against the Cavs, he was able to kind of go up strong and play with force against Jared Allen. And I think if you look at Miles last year, compared to this year, you can just see the difference in how much more physical he is in the post, how much more patient he is. And he's got an incredibly soft touch around the rim. So it's it's kind of one of those things where it's just like we needed to see it to believe it, and now that we're seeing it, it's it's really been a big part of his game. You know, it's opening up multiple different avenues for him. So, yeah, I think right now Miles, best basketball of his entire NBA career so far. Setting the pace, and Alice Golden on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. Pacers in Philly coming up tomorrow night back in home on Friday against the Portland Trailblazers. They got a little get back against the Blazers and then obviously tomorrow night we'll look at Miles and Embiid that matchup and that hadn't been good for Miles in the past but you know, notice that Embiid is tearing everybody a new one this year and uh, look for that coming up tomorrow night with that high volume big man score in Philadelphia. So this team and I mentioned this earlier Alex I can't remember the last time I saw a team that is this locked in and hungry to be challenged and to challenge right back at a high level. I mean, they, they have a hunger out there. And I, I mentioned this earlier. I don't mean to sound like this is coach speak whatsoever because it sounds like I'm just making some crap up to try to sound smart. But I, I can't remember a time when I saw a group collectively, no matter the situation, up, down, whatever, have that hunger and drive to make the next play better or the next play great, this team really across the board has that. And it is great that chief among them, the rookie Benedict Matherin, has that within him. He's got the entire deal when it comes to chip on the shoulder and next play is going to be a great one. He is locked and loaded every single time. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. And I think if you just – if you look at the way this Pacers roster was constructed – it's guys that have a lot to prove, guys that have been kind of the short end of the, of the shaft when they've been, you know, at other organizations. Like, you look at Buddy Hill with Sacramento. They couldn't wait to get rid of him. I mean, every person we talked to on our podcast from Sacramento had nothing but pretty much bad things to say about Buddy. They are like, Buddy is a nice guy, but all he does is this. He's not this. He's not that. You look at Aaron Neesmith, a guy that even I think some Pacers fans were kind of frustrated with at the beginning of the way his year started out. He's playing better. Jalen Smith. I believe you were in the podcast I was on. Were you not frustrated with Neesmith, I believe? No, I I was kind of shocked that he was getting as much minutes as he was because he was playing so poorly. He was shooting like under 20% from three. And I'm sitting here thinking, what is he getting these minutes over O'Shea Brissett for? Because O'Shea Brissett has been playing really well off the bench this season uh, too. So I – I was just kind of confused by why he was getting so many minutes. He was playing like 26 minutes a game there for an average before they ended up starting him. And I don't know what flipped the script. I can't go back and tell you specifically, but he really turned the corner in December. And I, I think, you know, you know, they just got a lot of doubters. All these guys have doubters in their, in their mentions, probably aside from Tyrese. Tyrese doesn't have a lot of doubters, but, you know, he got uh, the, the Kings to trade him. I think that was enough to have a chip on his shoulder. And then, 
you know, Wally Zerbiak, thank goodness for him, yeah. he came in and pushed uh, pushed uh, Halliburton over the edge and trying to prove that he belongs. So, you know, personally, I just feel like the way that they're able to play together as a team, they're so connected. And I think a lot of that has to start with Coach Carlisle and the culture that he's kind of set there. And then following in, 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 in lockstep with that is Tyrese Halliburton. So when you have your coach and your franchise player you know, really in lockstep with what the direction of this team is and how this team's going about building, it makes a lot of sense why they are where they're at today. And I think another big key addition that doesn't get talked about a lot, but some, is the addition of James Johnson to the locker room. He's been, you know, so impactful. And if you hear guys talk about stuff, they always talk about him. He's not afraid to get in the guy's face when there's a bad play. And he's doing it out of love, and he knows his role on this team. So I think having good locker room leaders in this in this group as well as a coaching staff that's you know built this great culture that's why you're seeing this team and that's why they're easy to fall in love with you like the uh four smaller guys and miles and jalen smith coming off the bench you like that lineup yeah i mean i i think it's worked for them so it's hard to say that i don't like it the only thing i don't love is isaiah jackson kind of falling out of the rotation and i understand he's got limitations to his game and i think jalen is a little bit more versatile in terms of what he can do on both ends of the floor. A better defender, probably good rebounder. You know, uh, he's not a foul machine because Isaiah Jackson's yeah. a foul yeah. machine too. So, he, yeah, he is a foul machine. I, you know, you don't have the lob threat that I, that was really fun to watch with Isaiah Jackson. You know, just seeing them hard and Halliburton throw him passes on the pick and roll. I mean, it was it was special. But other than that, I mean, I think it's worked out pretty well. I, I don't think it's something that's going to be able to be sustainable long term or come playoff time because I just think they're a little bit too undersized. But, you know, the way they've been shooting the ball, that's been the main reason why I think they've been able to win so many close games is they're, like, so effective shooting the three-point shot in the month of December, which was, you know, an eight-and-eight month form, a 500-month form. But, you know, the last uh, seven games are six and one, and it's because they've just had elite-level shooting. And I think eventually that will probably tail off, especially as it gets a little bit tougher in the playoffs when they make it there. But – we're we're far away from that. I just they still got to add wing size, wing depth, and they can't you know just believe that playing Buddy at the four is going to be a problem. Uh, it's going to be a problem solver for them. They they probably know internally they've got to get some more size in that starting lineup to to really be a, a serious contender. But what they're doing right now is working, and it's it's been pretty fun. Alice Golden is setting the pace on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So is this a team that? Might be uh, shopping for something as uh, opposed to to selling something off here at the trade deadline? That's a really good question. I I think you can make the case for both. Obviously, there are some pieces, I think, on the end of this bench that could be dealt. You know, I'm not sure exactly what direction the Pacers are thinking, but, you know, at this point, Chris Duarte, it seems like he's kind of lost his spot with this team in terms of where he fits in. After having a really interesting season last year, I think he's a a really nice player, but it's just they have so many guards right now, and they're starting four guards, like you said. They've got Mather and McConnell off the bench, and it's just it's just so many guys right now, and I just don't know how long-term they can find enough playing time for all of them. So I could see them dangling Chris Duarte as um, maybe somebody that they would like to get something of value back in the trade. They've got those three picks as well for this upcoming draft. They got all their future picks. Um, you have to wonder maybe is, uh, is McConnell available? I don't, I don't know. I would say that's maybe 50, 50 Isaiah Jackson's another guy that could be on the table as well. Maybe there's a team that's really interested in his, uh, you know, ability to block shots, defend and, and be a lob threat. So I think they have pieces, but I would be kind of surprised if they over jumped the early season success to go for a buy-in type of move. But if the right deal is there for a cheap price, I I think they would be smart to do that. But I I don't see them really being sellers. I would be more shocked if they're sellers than buyers, this this trade deadline, just because of how well they've played so far. You look at Miles, is something going to be – because I've said all along something needs to be decided by the trade deadline in February. They could try to ride it out. If they wanted to, and that's that's a roll of the dice that uh, that could be trouble. There's no doubt about that. What, what do you think's on the table right now as far as the thought process? 
Yeah, I mean, I think one thing to really think about here, JMV, is they still have up until March to make that deal happen. So if they get a verbal agreement from him saying, hey, I'm, I'm willing to resign, but, you know, they, they will have more optionality uh, in terms of the moves they can make if they don't sign him before the deadline, if that makes sense, right? So they got that $31 million. They could make some kind of lopsided trade. And then they could still offer him some money uh, in terms of like a renegotiation and extension contract um, where he's able to get that extra, like, I think it was like $19 million if they don't spend anything for this season, like a $19 million bonus plus his contract for next year. It's kind of really detailed to go into all that on the radio. But I, I just think that it could make sense to resign him after the deadline and after the trade deadline if he does uh, like verbally agree to it because – like I said, that money is just huge there for their optionality, and you don't want to tie all that up by giving giving him an extension early on and um, maybe doing the renegotiation thing, which could hinder their, their moves they make. So I wouldn't bet on them trading him if he doesn't sign anyway just because it just feels like he's too important to this team, and uh, I think it might be worth the risk, even if he doesn't have a verbal agreement, just to see what you can do. Um, because he's been pretty loyal to the franchise despite how many times he's been put in trade rumors and stuff like that. But uh, what other options do they really have if they, if they, if they deal him at center? I'm not really ready to start trusting in Jalen Smith or Isaiah Jackson at this point. And the, the most capable center that you've had that has playoff experience on the roster, aside from Miles, hasn't played a game this year, and that's Daniel Tice. So I just I don't see them I don't see them moving him really at all, but um, I, I guess it comes out of the deadline, but I, I still think they could come to an agreement after the deadline and maybe re-sign them then. What's the percentage of thoughts you have right now that longer term or extension-wise, Miles would be back? Yeah, well, that's a tough one. I'd probably put it around like 60% is back, 40% is gone. And the reason I the reason I say 60% is, you know, I want I want to say more. But it's just so unknown right now. I think there's so many, there's so much confusion, uh, even for people around the league that they believe Miles is going to resign or extend with the Pacers, but they're still like hesitant. So that's kind of where I'm at. It's like they could trade him, they could follow up with their, hey, we're trying to rebuild. This is year one of our three year rebuild and, and maybe move him. But at the same time, why would you trade a guy that's fit in perfectly? Yes, they probably need more of a, a a pick and roll threat because Miles isn't really more, you know, a major roller. But I still just think he's fitting so well. He's a good defender. You, you really got to work on your defense. I mean, if he's off this team, their defense is just going to go straight uh, kaput. So they they really have to think long term about this. But I think Miles has really enjoyed his role with this team, uh, especially playing with Tyrese. And I think the way he's talking, it feels like there's something special about this team that he likes. So that's why I'm saying 60% chance that he'll stay here long term. I love the fact that um, people are having to eat crap with my, <laughs> Miles in my. I do like yeah, that. I'm one of them. I like that part. I'm one of them. So. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I got I got a loaf of bread for you. So, now, honestly, I haven't said too much. <laughs> I, I haven't said too much uh, just because it, it has been one, one of the reasons why I, I did have a belief, and I, I do have a belief in him, but I just thought some of, of the years ago criticism was so incredibly stupid. I understand if he doesn't have a good game. I understand if he's inconsistent, but you know his off-season plan of you know working out with you know yoga or whatever, making a lot of that. I, I always thought that that was kind of silly. Um, and uh, he was a dude that I thought had this level of talent with the team around him, and he also wanted to be here. And I'm kind of curious. As we move forward, certainly he's been somebody that wants to be here. You, you think with this core group that may change the philosophy when players look at this place and go, wow, you know, look what's happening there. Uh, this n- may not have been in the past a destination place, but we like the players, especially the future face of the franchise being Tyrese Halliburton. Does that make Indy a little bit more acceptable for anybody at all, or is it way too early to say that? I mean, it's probably too early to say it, but at the same time, I, I think it's just funny because there's been so much talk about other players across the league talking about Tyrese Halliburton or, or 
tweeting about him, like Kevin Durant clapping back at the Wally Zerbiak comments. I think that's pretty funny. Um, D'Angelo Russell talked about him being a really good point guard. And then there was an article in the LA Times after the game on Saturday where John Wall apparently was in the locker room showing the Clippers the clip of Tyree or his Clippers teammates, the Tyrese game winner against the Heat and was praising how terrific of a young player he is. So I think buzz around the league is like, this guy is like special. And, you know, there's that picture that went around last night of OG and Anobi talking to Tyrese and everybody was kind of getting excited about, oh, maybe OG and Anobi wants to come to Indiana. But I do think that there is a certain effect to it that, you know, people will want to play with Tyrese moving forward. And I think there's, um, I think that DeAndre Ayton really did want to play with Tyrese Halliburton, and that's why that the, he did sign that max contract. I understand that he wanted the money, too, at the end of the day, but still, uh, if the Suns didn't match it, he'd have to live with being in Indiana, and I think part of that is because he thought maybe he could be utilized more and be more of a uh, more of an option here with the Pacers next to, next to Halliburton. So, yeah, I, I really do believe that Tyrese is going to elevate the franchise in terms of other players' desires to be here. Yeah, it is. Um, it's pretty funny to watch Phoenix play without some of their essentials. With yeah. uh, Aiton still out there, I know Aiton's what seventeen and a half and nine and a half boards or whatever, which I think everybody would sign up for. I think Miles goes what sixteen and eight or somewhere in that neighborhood. But it's uh, interesting to see uh, for a guy like Aiton what happens to you when your guys kind of float off to injury situations, as we've seen here recently. Yeah, I think with Aiden, too, it's just like, you know, we, we saw him and Monty Williams getting into it not yep. too long ago. It's just like... I don't think they ever mended those like, fences, did they, at all? It doesn't seem no, like... I mean, how, how do you not mend that? I mean, yeah. as great of a coach as Monty Williams has talked about, you feel like he'd be able to connect with Aiden, and it just feels like there's just some major disconnect there. And everybody talks about Aiden doesn't shoot threes. I mean, Aiden has an incredibly soft touch around the rim. He's got a really nice mid-range jumper. I mean... I still think that Aiden would have been a great fit here, and I think people would really be excited about what Aiden is doing here if he were on this team. But, you know, Miles has really stepped up to the plate, JMB, and so you can take your victory lap all year long. No, oh, I'm not going to take it yet. we got to get something more significant <laughs> than a string of games here. <laughs> I mean, it's not been just a string, though. I mean, he's been good pretty much all season long, you know. And I mean, no, I'm, I'm I, and you know what? Me, thing. I've always had a value in him. I found value in him, yeah. even when others didn't. And I think what you're seeing now is an even higher level of value that others thought he was never going to, at this level of consistency, reach. So, right, and I, and I think part of it was just his own, like his own doing to a certain degree by how much he would talk about saying this publicly and put cryptic stuff on social media and then not really back it up when he played. And I think he's gotten away from all that. And I think that's helped him uh, uh, tremendously. You know, he'll put things out there where he's tagging Greg Doyle or something like that at the beginning of the season for fun. But, you know, he's not putting out like cryptic stuff all over the place and kind of showing his hand about how frustrated he is. He's just playing ball. And I think, you know, the best thing that he's done is he really hasn't said anything about his situation since the Woj pod and he's played really well since then. So that, that to me is the best version of miles is when he's just in the zone and not so focused on social media about what's going on because, you know, he's going to have haters. He's going to have fans. And at the end of the day, you can't worry about who's saying what about you. Just go out there and play your game because he has been tremendous for us. What I've liked seeing so far, and you mentioned there have been a couple of clunkers along the way, but Halliburton had a clunker himself, too, that Rick Carlisle explained with you know, the plus-minus philosophy. They're going to have clunkers here or there. At least most guys will. But him not having that prey on his mind, he loses it, comes back, and plays at a higher level. That does not remain the consistency is that clunker. He comes back and plays at a higher level, and certainly that has been more sustainable uh, than those bad games that you might want to bring up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I think you can just kind of look at it from last year. There was times when, you know, Demontis Sabonis would be the solo center closing out a game, and Miles is on the bench watching. And, you know, it's like Domas is great offensively, but defensively, you know, he's not at the same level as Miles, so I can understand why Miles was frustrated. Not because he doesn't like Domas, but just because he feels like they're picking Domas over him, and now he's kind of getting the short end of the, the stick, you know. And it's just like I get it, I understand, you know. And, and there'd be games where Miles mentally would just lose it. And I think 
you, you'll notice this, JMV, when Miles touches the ball early in the offense during the beginning of the game, and if he, get, if he can get a shot in, usually he ends up having a really good game. So I think with him it's all about confidence and just finding that, you know, finding that moment in the game where he can feel like he's involved on both ends and not just, hey, block shots and do that. He's, he feels like he feels more important to this team generally than just in one area, which is the defense. So I think he probably feels that same way. And, you know, uh, I'm really excited to see it because, like you said before, I wasn't a big fan of him staying long-term, but the way he's played, I would be kind of sad if he left. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny, too. I know confidence has been a big deal with him. It always has. But uh, it seems now he, he is, is confident in the fact that he knows that he's going to end up getting a touch. That he's actually being, you know, looked for, uh, back, you know, in the day where everybody got mad at him because well, all he does is stand in the corner. Well, that's because the offense predicated that he stood in the corner. I mean, he wasn't doing that just to go over there and lean against the wall or anything. In the offense, that's where they put him. And now this is a lot different, and you see a, a, a more of a moving part and more of an opportunity to score. And in this case, getting really good matchups, he's also been getting to the free-throw line, which has not been something he has done in the past frequently. So it's been yeah, yeah. been a good season for him, no doubt about that. So, yeah. So you're talking trade deadline stuff, right? Probably not, but it should be interesting <laughs> to see how they view this team uh, moving forward. Alex Golden setting the pace with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. If for nothing else, it has been fun so far, and there is nothing wrong, Alex, with a team that you're looking for to evolve longer term, be ahead of schedule, because we have not had yeah. that very often around here. That's a good thing. No, I, I totally agree with you, and I think it's been really fun. The fan base seems to really be engaged, and I think the Colts being as bad as they are has kind of helped that as well. So, you know, the Pacers are striking at the right time, and, you know, why not have a fun little playoff series? I mean, who cares at this point? I mean, you know, they had a good chance of entering the season going after, you know, a, like a 20-win season and maybe getting Wimbenyama, but, you know, the odds of them getting Wimbenyama were very slim, and I think developing, getting guys better this year that are on your team that you know you can count on, you know, developing Halliburton, Mather, and those kind of guys. It's just, it's honestly been a, a breath of fresh air. And while I was still a fan of them going in the rebuild mode a little bit, I've, uh, I've really, I thoroughly enjoyed watching this team play. And I think every fan probably feels the same way. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a good thing to see, JMV. I'm glad they're on pace to continue to play well and, you know, hopefully get some playoff experience. What's up next on the podcast? We got Scott Agnes from Fieldhouse Files coming on tonight to just kind of get his thoughts on the team, and maybe he'll have some more insight that I don't have since he's around the team every day. And uh, we're going to recap the game, and hopefully, hopefully soon we'll do a deep dive and, and look at this team compared to the seventeen eighteen team that uh, overachieved as well and made the playoffs. So. A lot of fun stuff to talk about with this team right now. So thanks for having me on. You got it. Setting the pace. That's Alex Golden right there talking paces on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. We'll do it again soon. Thanks, Alex.